Colossians chapter 1 verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood by God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Well, this week we're kicking off a new series of sermons focusing on the book of Colossians. Now, I want to show you an Australian $50 bill. The woman on one side of the bill is Edith Cohen, an Anglican who spent her life working to make Australia a better place for women and children. She was the first woman to serve as a member of parliament. The man on the other side is a hero of mine by the name of David Unipon. David was a Garingeri man who was born at Point Maclay Mission in South Australia. The teachers at his school were blown away by his intelligence and humility. Unipon worked as a bootmaker, then as a bookkeeper, and was passionate about literature, philosophy, science and music. While the colour of his skin made life difficult for David, he never let this stop him, and he became an inventor and took out provisional patents for 19 inventions, though he could never afford to fully patent his inventions. Even though his ideas revolutionised mechanical sheep shearing, he never received the money or credit he deserved for his inventions. This didn't stop David, and he became known as Australia's Leonardo da Vinci for his research into perpetual motion, the polarisation of light, and a helicopter design based on the principle of the boomerang. Where did this man's resilience come from? How was he able to do all of this at a time when he was marginalised in his own country? It came from his thankfulness. Unipon wasn't just a hard-working genius. He was an evangelist and a preacher. He refused to become a victim and let racism and prejudice rob his joy. He was refused accommodation many times because he was black. But he wrote, In Christ Jesus, colour and racial distinctions disappear. David and Ipon lived a life of thankfulness, and in a lecture for the Anglican Church, he wrote, Look at me, and you will see 
what the Bible can do. Look at me and you will see what the Bible can do. 2,000 years before, another man sought to build an attitude of thankfulness in others. An evangelist and preacher named Paul shared the good news of Jesus with a guy named Epaphras. And he went to a town called Colossae where he discipled others and a small church grew. Disciples in Colossae received this letter from Paul at a time when they had a colossal problem. They had colossal confusion on their hands. You see, Colossae was a large, culturally mixed town with markets, theatres and many places of worship. While this new church was growing, its colossal problem was that it was under pressure from people from outside the church who were telling them what to do. These people belonged to one of two bigger religious groups. On the one side, you had some Jews who didn't believe in Jesus telling the Colossian Christians that they had to adopt Jewish customs and follow their laws. We still have people like this today. They're the ones that say that in order to live a good life, you must do certain things, associate with certain people, and follow certain rules. We'll call these people the grumps. Also in Colossae were the humps. These were Greeks and Romans who said that Jesus was just um, one among many wise teachers who had secret wisdom. They would say that Jesus was okay, but in order to rise over others... There was still a lot you had to do. You had to go to this temple and buy into this philosophy and behave in this way. Jesus was just another god or idol among many. And in order to rise above the hump of common people, you had to follow this 10-point plan, pay that amount of money, or offer a sacrifice in this certain place to be a part of the in-crowd. We still have humps today. People who say that in order to be part of the in-crowd... And to live a good life, you need to buy this product, do this ritual, read this book, or follow this self-help guru. The colossal problem was that the Colossians were being told their faith wasn't enough. Jesus wasn't enough. They were being pressured by the grumps and the humps to do life on their terms and leave Jesus behind. How does Paul respond? Does he give them something else to do? No. He does the opposite and reminds the Colossians of what they already are in Christ. He doesn't tell them what to do. He reminds them of who they are and gives them a new way to be. The Bible gives us a new way to be in Colossae, in Dolby, in Cecil Plains, anywhere God gifts us with a new way of being. Paul writes in verse 3 of Colossians 1. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. He's continually thanking God for people he's never met because he's heard of their faith. He calls his friends in Colossae saints. Often when we think of saints, we think of holy people with halos who have been made saints through church councils and achieved demigod status. But this is not what Paul means. The word hagios in Greek is translated here as saints, and it means holy ones. Three times in this passage, Paul uses hagios to describe Christians in Colossae. They aren't saints because they've lived amazing lives. They are saints because Jesus has died for them, and they are in relationship with him. 
If you are a follower, a disciple of Jesus today, then you aren't just part of St. John's Church. You are part of St. Anne's Church, St. Beryl's Church and St. Ben's Church. Paul is reminding the Colossians that they are saints because of what Jesus has done for them, not because of their own righteousness. And they have Jesus to thank for their status as saints. The Colossians and we today have even more to be thankful of because we don't just have a title. We have the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came to earth to show us how to live, die for our sins and rise, opening the way to God. And again, Paul's friends haven't had to do anything to receive this gift. We read in verse 6. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood its grace in all its truth. Paul is rejoicing that the amazing news of the gospel is bearing fruit, bringing God's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control into Colossae. And this is all through God's grace. Paul is reminding the people that this truth that Epaphras shared with them is still good, no matter what the grumps and the humps say. They have heard, understood, and received God's grace, his free gift, and it's changing their lives for good. Like a fruit tree, the gospel is organically and effortlessly producing faith, hope, and love. Words that will come up again and again in our study of Colossians. In tackling the colossal confusion, Paul reminds us that if we want to live the good life, We don't have to do what the grumps and the humps want us to do. Instead, we can just be recipients of God's grace. As we get to know Jesus more and more, the gospel will bear fruit in our lives. Abundant thanksgiving produces fruitful living. Paul continues to remind the Colossians and us of all that God has done for us in verses 9 through 14. Look with me at verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see, apart from advice for what the Colossians had to do, the grumps and the humps were peddling their own secret knowledge and wisdom. Paul reminds us that we have everything we could ever need in Jesus. God has provided all the love and we get to live lives enjoying him without constantly hunting down extra spiritual wisdom. God is the source of ultimate wisdom. And Paul tells us that if we want to live a life worthy of God, God is only too happy to help us. In a mega sentence, which I'm going to try and say in one breath, Paul tells us, We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the kingdom of light. The grubs and the humps were selling tickets into a heaven that they had made. And they were telling others what to do in order to meet their standards. Paul prays that he would live a life worthy of the Lord simply by being his people, putting our identity in Christ above everything else. He prays that we would be strengthened to keep bearing fruit and giving thanks to the Father who who has already given us passports into his kingdom of light. If you were here last week, you'll remember that Jesus rejoices with his disciples, not in the amazing things they do, 
but that by God's grace their names are written in heaven. They were members of God's kingdom because of their relationship with Jesus. The language of fullness and thanksgiving is strong here. And throughout the book, like Jesus, <coughs> Paul rejoices that God the Father has provided all imperfect and broken people like you and me need to be saints, the people of God. Abundant thanksgiving produces fruitful living. While the Colossians were being told that what you do determines who you are, Paul turns this around and tells us that who we are in Christ comes first. When we appreciate what Jesus has done for us, it will help us to live fruitful lives, lives lives marked by good works, endurance, patience, and joy. Friends, where does your identity lie? Is it in Christ or elsewhere? I was listening to a podcast the other day about how people are increasingly defining themselves as victims because that's where they find status. People have traditionally found identity in their titles, their achievements, or their wealth. But people are increasingly defining themselves as victims because that's where what people pay attention to. If I'm a victim of society or body chemistry or unjust economic structures, then people will care about my story and those around me owe me something because I'm a victim. The message is, what you need to do is figure out why you're a victim and then complain about it and then hope that the government or some saviour will step in to save you. The grumps and the humps of this world are alive and well and they are telling us not what we should be thankful for, but why our lives are incomplete. And as long as we listen to them, then things might work out for us. But here the Bible tells us that Christians aren't victims. We are saints, fully qualified members of God's family. Like David and I upon, our identity in Christ is the most important thing about us. We are not victims. We are redeemed people of God. And our lives are marked by abundant thanksgiving and fruitful living. This is how Paul encourages us to be, because it's how God invites us to be. Let's pray. Loving Lord God, thank you so much for your grace towards us in Christ Jesus. Help us to live lives of gratitude, of thankfulness for all that you have done in him. Help us to bear fruit and live a life worthy of God. Live a life worthy of you, because of all Jesus has done. In his name we pray. Amen.